As I've been working on this sermon series, I've become all the more convinced of the importance of leadership. And particularly, I've, I've done it as I've reflected on the Bible. I've done a lot of reading about leadership, not just from Christian sources, but from other sources as well. But when you think about the Bible, just even a cursory glance of it, what you're going to see is that people, the things happen in the Bible when people step up to do what God has called them to do. And that happens in a variety of ways. Think particularly of the book of Acts. It's when Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost to give a bold proclamation of the risen Christ. It's when Philip goes up to the chariot of a, of a government official from Ethiopia. It's when a woman named Tabitha sees the need for clothes and, and for the poor and makes an effort to bring them to them. It's when Peter goes to the house of a Gentile obeying the call of the Lord. It's when those who are scattered begin to preach to the Gentiles and gather them into the church. That's when things happen in the kingdom of God. So it's important for us to consider that and to see how God moves throughout history and that he still wants to do that through you and through me as we step up to obey the call that God has given us. Now, as you hear about the word leadership, you can see then that we're not just talking about people who are in a position like the president or a CEO or a teacher, but it's anyone, really, who wants to help others become what they could and should be under God. And so if you have any desire to see anybody move to a better place, then that's an opportunity for leadership, and this message is relevant for you. So now last week we talked about the way we tend to lead people, we want them to move in a different direction. What our tendency is just to react. We don't like something they're doing, so we just say, we, we attack them, or we say, tell, give them a command, or we tell them to do something different, or we withdraw from them and in order to try and get them to change. But here's the thing. That is often not a very effective way of leading. And so we saw that the Bible gives us a better way that's outlined by the Apostle Paul, uh, in Philippians 1, uh, 9 through 11, where he says, I have a vision for where people should be, that they would be a people who grow in love, that is based on wisdom, that acts on the basis of wisdom, and then bears a lot of fruit to the glory of God by the power of Jesus Christ. So now, I'm going to assume this week that you've got a vision, but we're, of course, we're still going to keep working on it. I think that we never get totally to a point where we're like, okay, I've got complete understanding of where I, where I think people should be, including myself. It's always a process of meditating on what God wants us to be and learning and growing. But if you've got the vision and you want to see people in a better place, what do you, what do, you do next? Well, here's the answer that we have in this passage. You need to show them the way. You need to show them the path, how to get from where they are to where they could and should be. You've got to show them the path. So I want, to do, I want to show you two things here. First of all, some obstacles to showing the way. And then secondly, we'll look more positively at how to show the way. So first, some obstacles and then how to show the way. And you will see that the Apostle Paul in this passage speaks of three different obstacles to leadership. And really, these are obstacles that can become readily the focus of our leadership, things that can keep us from showing the way. The first is opposition. Anytime you try to, to lead people in a good way, there's going to be opposition, internal and external. There's going to be people opposing it. 
tomorrow we're celebrating uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Martin Luther, had a, Luther King had a vision for where people could and should be, right? And he, he wanted to see the, this nation established as a beloved community. And he saw that the segregation and the injustices that were taking place were keeping it from that. And so he said, I'm going to seek to lead it to a better place. And all the nation said, fine, let's do it. No, they did not. He faced all kinds of opposition. And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. When you seek to proclaim the truth, there's going to be people who oppose it. And he talks about people who come in, that the Holy Spirit even tells us specifically, there's going to be people to oppose you as you seek to bring things in the right way. They're going to forbid people to marriage and eat certain kind of foods, but it could be a lot of other things too that keep us from that. And it's easy when people are opposing us to let that become the center of our lives uh, as leaders. That we think about it over and over and over again. We're enemy-centered, as Stephen Covey even put it in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. So what do you do? Well, what he says is get clarity on your position and stick with it. Don't worry so much about what they're saying, but you say, you make the statement, here's what the Bible teaches, here's what God is telling us, you say it and you stick with it. He says, when people say to forbid in marriage or eating certain kind of foods, you teach the truth about creation. That all things are created by God are good and to be received with thanksgiving. And so he says in verse 6, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. So you know the teaching and you proclaim the teaching and you let the chips fall where they may. You leave it to the Lord after you have stuck with the position that the Bible says. A lot of times we get, we're not sure if that's just what we need to do, but just to hold fast to what the teaching that God has given us to point it out without fear and then to keep going forward. The second obstacle to showing the way is distractions. One thing is that we'll find some things are important to us and to other people that are not that important to the actually showing people the right way to life and godliness. And so he says in verse 7, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. So he calls these distractions godless myths and old wives' tales. He also talks about, in other places, endless genealogies. And, you know, there's a way of studying the Bible that can get lost in the details, but kind of lose focus on faith working itself out through love. And we have to be on our guard for that. We can go on tangents that aren't really going to help us. We can also, um, we also can see... Uh, that there's many other distractions that aren't necessarily central to the Bible that may be uh, even important things in themselves. But we can, we especially as ministers, can get, get interested in a particular task that may not be at the heart of what we're called to do, such as politics. We should speak to politics, but we've got to guard that that doesn't become the message, the main thing. Um, even the things that we study that are good can can actually push out the Best things that we need to do. I remember that uh, I was talking to a new minister, uh, me and actually a couple of friends, and he was really struggling in his church. And one of the reasons was because he decided for the one sermon he needed to preach, he needed to spend a 35 hours in preparation. Now, during those 35 hours, he was doing some good things. I mean, to read a, a commentary on the Bible is a good thing. Uh, to, to study, to think through, it's a good thing. But what it did is it pushed out his connection with the congregation. 
So he came in there, he's telling them, but he didn't have a connection with them. And that's one of the important things if we're going to lead people. We've got to show that we're part of them. We're, we're connected and we care about them. And so he said, maybe cut back to 20, you know, but uh, he, he decided not to. And, and what ended up happening is he left shortly thereafter. So even good things can distract us. So what we need to do as if we are going to avoid this obstacle to showing the way is get clarity on what's actually important and do it and teach it. That's what he's saying in verse, in verse 8 or verse 7. Rather, train yourselves to be godly. Don't get distracted from that. Physical training is some value. But godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And he says this is worthy of acceptance that one thing is if we pursue godliness, we have great hope for it. Why? Because God is the Savior. And we're believing in him and trusting in him for his work. And as we lean into that work that he's doing in our lives, we have hope that this is going to transform us now and lead to everlasting life. And so we train ourselves for godliness. We focus on what makes a real difference. The third the third uh, dis- uh, obstacle to showing the way is disrespect. Disrespect. Look at verse 12. He says, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Few things can bother people more than when other people treat them with disrespect, that they act as if they're totally incompetent, especially when they're doing a job and they come along and say, oh, you're, you're a total idiot and you can't do anything and I'll, let me tell you how to do everything you need to do. That's something that can really get to you. I, was, I remember um, uh, a friend who had an elder who was looking down on him in his view and he, he, it seemed like he felt like he had no respect from this, from this elder. And one of the things is he talked about this elder over and over and over again. And, and I said, so why, why are you so concerned about this? And he said, because I'm concerned about, um, you know, where he is with the Lord. And I said, but he, he, he runs around in your head over and over and over again. But all the other people that you also have concerns about, that also need help with the Lord, they don't run around in your head over and over again. I don't think it's really that, though that maybe it's part of it. But the main thing is that he had experienced disrespect, and that's hard to deal with. So what do you do? Well, the Apostle Paul says, get clarity on your duty and excel at it. Verse 12, he says, don't look anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, and in purity. Get clarity on your duty and excel on it. If you focus on being an example to other people in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, you won't have that much time to worry about the disrespect of others. You focus not on what others are saying about you, but where you were yesterday and how you're growing in the Lord to become more an example of speech, in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. That's the solution to respect, is to get clarity on your duty and focus on that. Now, we're kind of going to go over the same material, but I'm going to do it from a slightly different angle. Now we're going to say, how do we show the way? I want to now, I've kind of talked about some obstacles that the Apostle Paul speaks of that are common to leadership. Now I want to give us a more positive explanation of how do we show people the way. Again, we see where people could and should be. How do we move them from where they are to where we believe that they should be? So first, get clarity 
on the path to where you're leading. In other words, understand the way. So you need to have clarity on what will get people to the place where they could and should be. You need to know what is that path that will get them there. If you don't know it, and if you, don't, and if you can't say it, then how do you expect anyone else to follow where you're leading? You need to get clarity on that. And that's what the Apostle Paul says that in verse 6, he says that when you can point these things out to the brothers, you point them the right truths, the right way, where things should go, then you could say you'll be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. So we move inward to be nourished, to understand the way. What is the Lord teaching about how to get there? Do I have clarity on that? How can I get them there? In verses 14, verse 14, he says, Do not neglect your gift, which was given through you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. But be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. So you, you need to think through where you are to understand these matters, to get clarity on where you're leading people and how they are to get there. That is the understanding that we need. So think about this. Again, the question, um, if people say to you, someone has to come up to you and say, um, I will follow your exact directions in where you want me to go and how you want me to do it. I want to be everything you, you want me to be, and I'm going to, do it, I'm going to pursue that in exactly the way you tell me. What would you tell them? What would you want, to see, what would you want them to What would you say? Um, and so think about this. One of the most basic things we're thinking about, we might want to say, is people growing in faith. I mean, that is the heart. It's the work that we do as service to the Lord, the love that we show to others, is rooted, the Apostle Paul says, in the faith that we have. It's faith working through love. So we want people to be a people of faith who have a strong trust in God. Now, so here's where we, here's where we then begin to say that. Now, so I w- I'd love to see my kids, my church, my neighborhood being people who really trust in God no matter what and are ready to follow him because they trust him. So then the question becomes, how do I get them there? How do I get them there? Well, that involves a lot of, a lot of things, but just consider a few. First is, um, where we can see faith manifested is when things become difficult. When things become hard, then what, then what, what would we have them do? That even though they, may, they, they don't say they're not, they don't say this is easy, but they learn to trust God in the hard things. They learn to say, we can trust God even when things get difficult. We can also see what else is going to help them grow in faith and become people of faith. Well, they got to do things that require faith. If we stay in our comfort zone, if we always do what's easy for us and where we're comfortable, then we'll never have to exercise faith. Do we ever have a point where we say, I can't do this unless the Lord provides? We're going to talk about um, the, the Spain trip that we're going to take. And you know, when I started with that, um, and I committed to go myself, I really had no idea whether I'd be able to get five more people to come. And it was like, I can't, I, I've said what I can say. I, I know, um, I, I don't know what else I can add to it. 
And I know that it's, it's kind of a sacrifice because it's like a week and a half. And it's, it's kind of difficult. So how are we going to bring it about? It actually made me pray a lot more than I might pray, have prayed otherwise. And the Lord provided for that. And now I can go back to that and say, see, the Lord gives the vision. The Lord provides the opportunity. Sometimes you have to say, he closes the door. But looking to him, he provided five people to go with me. Um, that was a clear answer to prayer. And it was amazing to see. And so that's just one small example. But it had to be like, we're going to try to do something different that we haven't done before. And even we're not sure how it's all going to work out. And a third way of increasing in faith is to give thanks in the good times. You know, a lot of times when, we, when people come to us and say, I'm struggling, can you pray for me? One of the things I would suggest to you is to say, yes, let's pray right now. <laughs> because both, then you have the opportunity to share, pray together. You have the opportunity to show prayer and faith in that opportunity. And uh, you also may forget when you walk away. Let's be real here. Um, but another opportunity we have to, to show faith is when we give thanks. Um, when someone comes to us and says, hey, guess what happened? I just got a new job and it's way better you know, than what I had before. The pay is greater. Hey, let's stop right now and give thanks to the Lord because we see that he's providing for us. So you see what, what I'm saying here is, is when we have the vision of faith, of helping people come to faith, then we begin to see the path to getting them there. You got to have, you know where you're going, but then you start to say, well, how do I get them there? And then you can begin to ask those questions. And then you can begin to implement it. And you begin to see it. So that's the first thing, is that we got to get clarity on the path. We got to know the way. But the second thing is to tell them where you're leading. Tell them where you're leading. In other words, teach the way. Once you know the way, tell them the way. It's really that simple. And that's what the Apostle Paul says. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you'll be a good minister of Christ. He says, command and teach these things. He says, um, give your attention to the reading of Scripture, to preaching and teaching. And then he says, exercise your gift. And so on. In other words, watch your teaching. And teach. Say what you want people to, to see. see show, tell them about the destination and tell them how to get there. So this is, in some ways it's so obvious, but you know, sometimes we get frustrated with people and, and we're like, why aren't, they, why aren't they going where they need to get going? And the question we need to ask is, have I, have I told them where they need to be going? Have I said anything about it? Have I showed them? Uh, one philosopher said, we're made to be part of a community. So, teach people or bear with them. That's the idea that we are to teach. But you know, we often cannot tell people enough. Uh, John Cotter has a book called Leading Change. It's a, really, it's a really good book. And he says, when he's talking about change, primarily he's talking about organizations, institutions. He says people under, these leaders who want to seek change tend to under-communicate by a factor of 10 or 50 or 100. They don't say it enough. And then he says this, which is kind of stuck with me. When you are getting tired of saying something, people are just beginning to understand. 
When you're getting tired of saying something, people are just beginning to understand. When you're... (laughs) No, I'm not going to do it. So... Now think about the teachings of Jesus. Jesus. Jesus taught and he says the same things. And he finds ways to make it memorable and clear. Like he says, look at the birds. They don't do anything to, to, to uh, prepare, but God provides them food. He says, no man can serve two masters. You either serve money or you serve the Lord. What profits in a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. These are ways that Jesus was showing the way. He's teaching the way that they should go. And he does it over and over again. And he does it in memorable terms. And so if we want to get people to move, a big part of that is telling them the way in ways that are clear, in ways they can understand. We've got to show the way. The third thing is to be an example of where you are leading. Walk the way. Be an example of where you are leading. Walk the way. Exercise is something that's important. It's interesting. He says here, exercise uh, matters a a little, profits for a little bit. And you know, it's interesting when we talk about that, um, you know, I always say, say we got to remember our circumstances are a little bit different because uh, we can easily live a sedentary lifestyle, uh, which is not good for us. Remember, Paul walked all over the Roman Empire. <laughs> he built tents and stuff like that. So still got to have exercise if we're going to get our, our bodies functioning well to the glory of God. It's important. So it profits a little. But what profits way more is godliness. Now, let's use this as an illustration. Now, if you want to say to people, hey, you need to exercise. First, I'd be very cautious about that statement and who, to whom you say it. But what's going to show people the way to exercise? If you say, hey, I'm going to go out and exercise today. If you're doing that consistently. Or if you say, hey, do you want to go to the gym? We're going to ex- so we can exercise together. It's showing, walking the way that's going to teach this. If I, if I say to you, that you should exercise, and, and you find that I'm like, uh, I, I'm, I'm not in good shape, and I never exercise, why are you going to listen to me? It's like, I've got, I've got to do what I'm telling you to do. It's the, it's the heart of teaching. You've got to have credibility, which means you walk the way. So exercise is profitable, but, and it's similar to godliness. And what he says is that, that yeah, you need, to, you, you need to go to the gym. That's good. Um, but where you really need to go is the godliness gym. And he says you need to actually exercise. He talks about it. He uses the word gymnasium. And it's like the exercises for godliness. It's like a workout. Because there's a similarity. It's just like exercise is not easy. Just like exercise requires effort. It requires discipline over time in order to, to make a difference. So the transformation of our character requires work over time to take effect. Um, the change of God into godliness is about becoming a person that reflects the image of God. It's loving God and our neighbor without losing our joy. And so how do we de- develop that? Well, we've got to hit the godliness gym. And that means that it takes effort. It means you've got to take in what God is saying, and you've got to rethink your life. 
How are you looking at things that don't line up with what God has said? Where does your character come from? It comes first and foremost from how you view the world. A lot of those things are, we're not self-conscious about. We don't, we're not aware of what, is, of what we're actually thinking. We just kind of react or built in. It's about stepping back and saying, what am I actually thinking? And how does God de- de- define reality? And how does he help us to see what is really there? So that is something that we have to do. But then we say, well, that's going to have an effect on our lives. Um, that's going to begin to change our lives. And then we can't just do it that once. We've got to do it over time. And we've got to continue to exercise, continue hearing from the Lord, continue rethinking what we thought, continue seeing how that will change our lives, and then how, begin to and then keep doing that over time. That's the godliness, Jim. And so, but he says this here, not primarily because he is saying to him, to, to, for him this for himself, but he's saying it to him as a leader. So you want other people to develop godliness. How are you going to do that? Well, you've got to train yourself in godliness. You've got to become a godlier person, a person who's a greater person of love for God and a, love, a lover of others who, who, is a, with, who can do this without losing their joy. You see people and you want them to be more people of joy and hope? Well, first start with yourself. And working on developing the godliness that reflects the joy and hope that reflects the image of God. And so, and over time, this will help people follow in that direction. Sometimes you don't see it over a short period of time. You know, one of the things we're going to talk about next week is when we lead by, leading by reaction is impatient. We don't like where people are. We want to be right here, right now. But leadership is a process. And it takes time, and from day to day, you might not see a difference. But over time, it will make a difference. And sometimes you get a picture of that. So I, it, when I was uh, in college, I started going to a church called Dutton United Reformed Church. And that was in southern Grand Rapids. And um, I got to be a part of that church, and I got to know a lot of the families there. And I really appreciated a lot of the, the uh, people there. I got to know a lot of the, the adults and in their homes, talking to them. And I was like, this is a, a godly group of people. They're devoted to the Lord. And I was really impressed with that. Um, and I also taught some of their kids. I taught a catechism class. And I was impressed with a lot of the kids. But, you know, kids who, from any background, whether they're, and when they're going through middle school and high school, are going to just have issues, you know, wherever they go. Whether they're homeschooled, Christian school, public school, it's going to be somewhat a challenge. They're trying to figure it out where they are in the world. So I was like, I don't know where these kids are going to end up. But I actually didn't go there for a long time, but then I went back maybe 10, 15 years later. And what was interesting is to see how many of the kids that grew up were there and now raising their kids in that church. And I couldn't believe it. It was a higher percentage than I would have ever predicted. And I think that, again, it's the grace of God and God's promise to be a God to us and our children. But it's also the God used their examples and consistent day after day to show them the way, to walk that walking that way that taught them not only with words but with actions what they were supposed to do. So you got to teach the way, but you also got to walk the way. That's one of your best ways of teaching it. And what the Apostle Paul says, if you do that, it's good for you. It'll save you. That is the, that's the way of salvation. Not, not how you become 
a Christian in terms of being converted from someone who's under the wrath of God to forgiven, but saved in the sense that salvation is about changing us to make us what God originally intended us to be. That's the full salvation. He's saying, you walking that path, that is the path of salvation. That's the path to get you where God has, God has a vision that you could and should be. And so to, to, even if no one else followed Timothy, nobody else, it, he would still say, this is the way you should walk because it's good for you to walk in the way of godliness, to walk in the way of virtue, to reflect the image of God. There's nothing better than that, even if nobody else in the entire world follows you. But what he says is, it's also good for everybody else. Verse 16, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. In other words, we give ourselves to these things. We give ourselves to the way and that will make an impact. So what is your vision for leading people? I want you to lose sight of that. Do you have a sense of where people could and should be that are around you, that you'd like to see them? When you see them, do you say, this is a person I'd love to see reflecting more greatly the glory of God? And also don't forget that that person is also one who can help you get on that way too. But that's, a, that's another point. Do you have a sense of how they get there? So that's where we got to begin. We've got to have some clarity on that. We've got to think a little bit more deeply about that. But then, can you communicate it clearly? Do you know enough where you want people to be to be able to tell them if they asked you? Do you know how to communicate that? Can you say it? Can you write it down? You might say, well, that sounds like a lot of work. Yep. Leadership is hard. If we're going to help people become what they could and should be, it's not going to be an easy task. Read this chapter again if you doubt me. It is, it is work, but this is the way. This is how it occurs. And then ask yourselves, then, are you actually walking on that path? Are you actually going there? What is consistent in your life? Um, when, is your life consistent? Think of what we just said about faith. When things begin to fall apart, without ignoring how hard they are, do you, do you still keep that connection with the Lord? When things are good, do you give Him praise? Are you pushing yourself in areas where you have to rely on the Lord? If you want to see other people doing those things, it begins with you. Let me um, just close with someone I think is a, a particularly good example of this. And it's, it's an example that we probably won't follow to the extent that she did. But it also can help, hopefully help drive home the point. And it's one person I thought of. So, and that woman is Corey Tenbu. I've mentioned her many times. And she, was, she is a woman who is a great communicator. Um, I definitely recommend her books. I, and, and I've read, of course, The Hiding Place, but I've read some of her other things. And, the, and some of the illustrations that she uses are just like things that just stuck with me. She's just so good at communicating and things that I continue to go back to again and again. And so she knew the way. She knew how to communicate it. But I really think it's clear 
that Corey Ten Boom would not have been as powerful a communicator if she hadn't walked the way in such a powerful way the way she had because she lived during World War II. And she saw that the Jews were being uh, persecuted by the Nazis and taken away. And her and her family decided that they were going to hide some of them at great risk to their lives. They said, we're going to do this and we're going to trust in the Lord and we're going to do what's good and right no matter what the consequences are. And the consequences were grave. She ended up in a concentration camp with her sister and father. And both her sister and her father died in that concentration camp. And yet, what she saw in that concentration camp was that even in the darkest places, the light of the Lord can still shine. She wouldn't have said, hey, the concentration camp, that was, that was a piece of cake. No problem. I'd go right back there. No, it was horrible and worse than she describes, actually, in her book. But what she kept doing is kept moving forward and kept looking for the Lord's work in the midst of that, bringing the light of the gospel even in the midst of that camp, sharing it to people, getting a Bible, leading in Bible studies, loving even her enemies. Now, when you've been through that and you tell people to love their enemies, you have some credibility, right? And that's why it's so powerful. So she learned to speak, but she also had the credibility that was based on walking that way. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. He's telling him, as you lead, try to do anything good. You'll experience opposition, distractions, and disrespect. Don't let that become your focus. Instead, focus on understanding the way, teaching the way, and walking the way. This is good for you and for everybody else and the glory of God. And that's leadership that will make an impact to the glory of God and the blessing of human beings, including yourself. Thus may it be. Amen.